Welcome to the Writer's Room, where the funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny stuff for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, Emmy-winning writer and comedian, Jeff Cesario. I stayed in New York a little longer than I maybe should have. I was like 10 years in, but like, sort of what you're saying, I felt just comfortable there, and then I was starting to be the big big fish sort of in a small pond eventually in New York, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of liked that too. You yeah. know, and it got to the point in New York to stand up. I was doing, I remember I did 11 shows in one night wow. in, in New York. Uh, this was like, it's just almost mathematically side. not possible, but it, it, it is. I know. There was a time in New York though, where um, this was like, there was the Boston comedy club in the village and then the village gate. And then the bottom line, I would do shows. And then the comedy cellar, and then go back uptown to the improv, Caroline's, stand up New York. So you can do a straight yeah. shot down Ninth Avenue. Right. You know. Um, and that's compact. So- it always sounds to people who don't know the geography of New York that well when someone says, I did eight sets in a night, or I did 11 sets in a night. Yeah, right. But then you go, you know, you hit eighth or ninth, you just go up and down. There's probably there were probably eight clubs within a twenty minute cab ride. Actually, pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. And stand up in L.A. now is impossible, and it's, I, I kind of feel bad for people starting because you don't get on stage unless you're an influencer and you can guarantee X amount of people are going to come to see you. Or you got to drag ten of your friends in, and so yeah. what do you do? You can do one show uh two shows a week or something you know i don't know very hard very hard and and when we were coming up uh in addition to uh what you just mentioned in terms of the gate um just the social media influence of it all we were able to make mistakes in the peace and quiet of a dull horrible comedy club uh nowadays it's it's on someone's camera it's on someone's phone instantly and right. it's out so yeah yeah it's not an easy road right now to try to be a stand-up but you're able to ride what a what a moment of serendipity to find that script at that bookstore and channel that sort of joke writing talent and then go okay now let me massage these into scripts of shows that i like and then to have that connect that's that is that's like the third rail. Bam! That's just power all the way through. And now you're writing in L.A. and you're. Do you find yourself in writers' rooms quickly? Um, once I'm out here, yeah. Or, um, yeah. It's a lot of it is relationships. Really, I feel like. Uh, whether you're hanging out with someone and you hear about, oh, someone's doing a pilot about something. So you call them up and let me help out and then come on the show. And even a lot of people in New York standups that I started with, will get their own half hours. Like Carol Leifer, uh, Carol Leifer was hosting a thing called Caroline's Comedy Hour in New York and hired me and loved working with me. She got a half hour and said, just come in and, you know, did a couple seasons of that. I mean, it's just, then the people you meet on that staff get another show and they said, we liked you on this thing, come to that. Um, even like when I worked at Futurama, uh, Seth MacFarlane's friend worked on Futurama and then Seth brought him back to Family Guy. 
you know, when that happened and that writer said, Mike Rowe was a great story guy, you know, at Futurama, we need to need to focus more on stories. Let's bring Mike Rowe in. You know, it, it's just, you know, uh, it's, you just got to create these networks of people to get yourself known out there. You know? Did you find that hard? I found it really hard just based on my personality and a, a sort of a lack, a complete lack of uh, emotional and relational tools that I had from my childhood. <laughs> it's like a golf what? bag, golf bag with one beat up putter in it. I had no real knowledge of how to have relationships with people. So I had to really work at it to just look uncomfortable, which is why I kind of squirreled away in stand up for so long. How did you find it? Um, I just knew it was so essential that it's almost like everything else. Every It's like everything. It's like, uh, this is hard. It sucks. I just have to figure how to do it. White knuckle my way through and just make it happen. And so I would do things like I was, uh, I was living in a house with another comedian, you know, William Cornell. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we I'm shared sure. a house in Larchmont in the nineties. And at the time I had stand-up comedian friends in New York. I had comedy writer friends and I had sitcom actor friends. And I would throw these parties at my house and get hundreds of people all kind of mixing together and just, and just trying to make it happen myself. I would bring the people into my home to, to create relationships. And in fact, all these people that probably wouldn't have known each other became friends for life just at my parties you know so That's it's impressive. it's really like boy and it's i learned interesting when on, you're what, shy to host or when you're a little bit uh, unsure socially to host is kind of a uh, a gangster move that's a great move because it's like you're a little bit off the hook it's like hey he's hosting don't put more pressure yeah. on the guy i like it <laughs> And then kind of what you can do if you're shy, right, is you can kind of pop around from person to person. But then I would get so comfortable at those parties. I would just do shtick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like I became famous for this bit where it took me 15 minutes to figure out how to unfold a lawn chair and figure out how to sit in it. Oh, that's fantastic. So they would just gather around and I would pretend no one was watching and, and get tangled in the chair like like I'm some low rent Buster Keaton or something, and you know or figure out how to I, I can't figure out how the sliding door opens so it's <laughs> pushing the wrong side and scratching my head and you know um, so then you're kind of you know oh I remember Mike from the party he got tangled in a lawn chair he was funny let's right. see if he's a um, such a great move and such. Uh, a throwback to the way you started uh, to gain an interest in comedy is watching classic stand-ups, classic comedy on television, uh, all the great physical comics. There even used to be a guy who would come on the Tonight Show. Do you remember this? And his whole act was he could not get the microphone out of the mic stand. <laughs> the, the little French guy with the derby, right? Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah. And the whole the whole act was, and, and Carson was smart enough to just introduce him as a stand up comic. You know, uh, enjoy the comic stylings. So we're pleased to have this guy with 
And then he would just come out and for six minutes and he wound up in just a, a yarn ball of mic cord. It, it was, it yeah, was the crazy kind of suspender. And then he, yeah. And then yeah, the yeah. Jacket, jacket off and then, Right, and he would right. flip his hat for five minutes and you know, oh, that's so yeah, great. That Tell me about let's jump to the animation rooms because that's a different kind of writer's room in a way, uh, only because of the time lag between what you write and when you see it produced. Describe that a little bit and and, and how that is for a writer. Well, the interesting thing is, especially for a family guy, it seems that from page to air date felt like probably around two years wow. by the time you saw it done uh, or by the time it aired. Um, so I you go like, from, you're literally going from texting Jeff Ross jokes in, in an instantaneously read on live television to now working a gig where you don't see your shit for two years. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that's insane. Um, I like uh, writers, uh, uh, animation writers room much better because the half hour sitcom multicam world um, is such a weird thing that the through the course of the week, and you just get a week to, you know, you get the, the, the from the read through of the script. By the time the audience is there, it's a week, but you rewrite it so many times. Uh, after the table read, you go and you rewrite it, and then you do a run through, and then you rewrite it, and then the executives look at it, and then you rewrite it, and then uh, and sometimes you're rewriting jokes because the crew's not laughing, or the the showrunner gets a little insecure about something, or you know, just the executive has notes, and so it's a lot of rewriting most of the time for no reason, just because somebody saw it again, you know it. Um, so I just I just didn't you know I it just didn't like rewriting it over and over and over where it, animation you have such limited time to get it into the machine that you you just have to you just have to settle for what you have and just put it in the machine there's just no time it takes so long because there's so many steps in in animation but you get these chances to fix it in the different animatic stages so animatics I'm sure you know it's like a Futurama like a first rough piece. sketch, rough, yeah, uh, rough, um, almost like a flip book of, of sketches. Yeah. yeah. So you look at the at first stage of how you know where are the character standing, how are the eye lines, you know. So it's really rough, and then they give you a non, un, you know, unfinished, not in color version of it. So you still have a little bit of time to change it, but not a lot. Sometimes you just lift scenes, and up until the very end, you can when it's the near final is done in color, you you still have the opportunity to replace jokes if you want, you know, they could just change the mouth a little bit. Right. And right. so, but, but you don't never feel like you're starting over. And I guess that's what was frustrating with half hour. You just feel like you're starting over every other day. And it's like, yeah, it it's really like a, episode. it's like a giant stew pot that's just sitting on a stove in, in a boarding house. And anybody who walks through can toss something in it. And and yeah. every time you go by, you go, boy, it's it smelled good yesterday. What happened? <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a very frustrating I worked, process. I worked on a Disney uh, half hour, and there was three different entities that all had different visions of what the show should be. 
you know, there wow. was the creators, there was the studio, and there was the network. And they all had these different ideas. And you go, and when you're on those situations, you go, okay, you this is where you don't hang any pictures up in the office. <laughs> you just know this is not going to. So three uh, entities that don't agree, no pictures. Yeah. Two entities that don't agree and one that's kind of in the middle. Maybe you put a picture of your family on the desk. <laughs> Yeah, you, you get a folding, you know, thing that stands on the desk. You don't put any nails in the wall. Wow. Yeah. So how long is that process from the inception of writing a family guy through the animatic stage? And as you say, you're not starting over every day. It feels like a it feels at least like the script and the idea and the show, the episode is growing. How right. So you kind of you kind of finalize the script in the room and then it goes into the machine. So then the somebody's off directing the actors and it's getting recorded. After it's recorded, you get what they call the radio play. So you get to listen to it with no picture at all. So again, to make sure the musicality of it is right and the rhythm is right. So you just listen to it like a radio show. And does it work on that level? Then you send it back into the animators. Then the animators, it's a, uh, the first version is a thumbnail. So sometimes it's literally just stick figures and you see where they're, they're, they're staged and stuff like that. And so that's kind of the first, and, and different shows work in different, some skip levels, you know, sometimes right. you go right to the, they call the pencil animatic, which is just the rough sketches, but it really looks like the characters. And then that, again, that's a chance to just adjust and fix and punch and mm-hmm. edit. You're not starting over. And then you get the first color. The first color, you can still make some changes in the final color. Like I said, you can change mouths and stuff like that for jokes. So this is over the course of weeks, months? Well, it's it's hard to judge because while that's in the machine, you're already starting the next script in the Uh room. Uh So that's off living its life. Right. You just wait till it shows up. And then all of a sudden, sometimes it'd be a couple weeks later, you go, we got an animatic today for episode four. And we're writing episode seven. So we don't, you just stuff, right. it's just this factory of stuff comes in and goes and you just, you know, deal with it as it's, as it's ready. Is that one of the bigger challenges in an animation writer's room is just being able to, uh, it's almost like formula one racing. At some point you got to take the outside lane and try to get past this one. And back into that one, you got to draft off episode seven and slide in that back in episode four. Um, that sounds like a big challenge. Yeah. And uh, and then when I first started to run these shows and then try to manage all that, at first it was like literal, literally anxiety attacks. Like I'm talking about, holy shit, the, the room is spinning right now. The, 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 my, the, the, the walls are melting. So what do I do? You know, it's like, oh, shit. So I, I, I've literally had like anxiety attacks. I remember running out of the building. And then there was just a random bike leaning against the wall. And I just jumped on the bike and just tooled around the lot. Just going, <laughs> and then I walked back in. Everybody's like, you're right. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I uh, went for bike ride. <laughs> when I, uh, I worked save on my sanity. Uh, I worked on a show, uh, a multicam, this long, you know, earlier on in my career. And uh, it, it, I'll try to tell the story quickly, but like 
I, I was I was just on staff, and then uh, it was one of these shows where the showrunner was on the on the stage all day, making sure it was working right. And then we had someone running the room who wasn't quite good at it. The showrunner would come in the room, look at the pages of that day, and every day it was like, no, this doesn't work. So we're starting over at six o'clock at night. Yeah. And then it came to a point where like it was a Friday. She, she comes in the room, looks at the pages. This isn't right. So what do we do? Do we want to stay up late on Friday night and then or come early Saturday morning? And I'm like, and she goes, you know what? We're gonna we'll stay late. And everybody's pouring coffee. I had five cups of coffee. And then she goes, you know what? Never mind. Let's come early tomorrow morning. And I don't know what happened, but this was at CBS Television City. All I remember after hearing that, I kind of snapped out of it and I was in the 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 lamp department of the Kmart across the street from the studio. I like had a like a uh, had an episode. Yeah. <laughs> so what what is interesting for me and and what's happened in my career? There will be a show where I'm like the star of the room for some reason. I just connect to the show, right? And it's a phenomenon that maybe is more unique to me. I'm not sure, but. And then I would go to the next show and I have nothing to say. All of a sudden I'm the quiet guy in the room because I just don't like, like I, I don't connect. And it's like a weird feeling. It's like, wow. I was like the king of the show two months ago. Now I'm on this new show. And, and I, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I don't know if it's the dynamic of the room, you know, where I, the chemistry, so I, the I, writers. I kinda, yeah. You know, plus, I, I kinda, I, I think there's a preconceived notion that you take your identity with you. You're always sort of that guy. And some guys can kind of do that. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, who you were became the size jigsaw piece you were. And it, it mm-hmm. you know, in some places it just went bam, it just fit right in sometimes centerpiece. And you go, wow, I'm the dude here. And then the very next jigsaw puzzle, it's like people are looking like, throw them under the couch. We don't even need the guy. It's like, wild. That's crazy. You know, and then I, I do tests, right? Like I know the surefire like room shtick, you know, that I would do, like if that uh-huh. doesn't work. Like the, the room version have, of the lawn chair. Yes. Like I would do this thing, like somebody would like make a pitch and I would pretend I was insulted by it and i i call it my up and away i would be like Bam. i would grab everything in, around me and then like exit out in a hop <laughs> you know storm out of the room over some innocent you know? pitch no doubt <laughs> yeah just somebody you know and then so i knew i was in trouble when i did that left the room you know and then kind of came back in everybody's like are you okay is everything you know like they thought it was real and i'm like Oh man! That you call your agent, you know, and then you go, "Okay, this isn't going to last." Yeah. Uh, here's a, here's a, this was a, an interesting and maybe that's just some, flying at different altitudes there, you know. And and maybe for anyone who tunes in and tunes in, that's how old I am. You tune into the <laughs> internet, the UH. <laughs> but uh, I was on a show where I was not connecting. And the showrunner creator said, you know what, once you do this, and it was a very stressful, very toxic room, right? He said, why don't you come in early, you know, come in by yourself, spend like an hour with the script, go through it, just get to know it better and blah, blah, blah. 
So it actually, the first time, sounded like he was trying to be helpful. Like the guy was just—it was a very toxic thing, like I said. And so I did it. You know, I—I I came in early, sat in the writers' room by myself. You know, went, you know, scribbled in. Oh, this could be good. This could be cut. You know, so I'm like, have this moment alone, like the Zen moment of like, okay, he's actually onto something. So the the writers come in, the day starts, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, page one when he comes in, and I got the joke. Hey, you didn't go to church on, you know, and there's a laugh. I go put that in. We can cut page, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to find a groove, you know. And at the end of the day, the showrunner is like, he calls me in his office, and he's like. So what what were you what were you doing in there? I go yeah, it just felt yeah you, I did I came in early spent time with the script and he goes yeah but uh, you were reading the jokes off the page. I go what do you mean? He goes you, no you got to make it up as you go. This isn't like a business meeting. You can't just read your jokes off the page. I'm like, what? Shit. That's when the wall goes down and you go all right. He just he this is just not gonna. He just wow. wants me out. Yeah. So because that's a, he, that's a ludicrous statement. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, since I started, if I counted every show that I've written on, including like award shows and, and roasts and stuff, it's wow. been almost like fifty-five different shows. Oh, so I've got to experience every different kind of thing of like being fantastic and great and the dream. And then like, you know, you end up under your desk in a ball weeping, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's insane. You Which know? one sticks out as, as uh, I always hate to say the most fun because, you know, when I look back on my own experiences in writer's rooms, I always go, you know, each one of them kind of had, you know, the hell ones, you go, okay, those are hellish gigs. But the good ones, you go, there was something really cool and different about each one of those rooms. But having said that, what sticks out? What's a room where you go, always look back on fondly? Well, certainly Futurama. Because I, I was there for six, seven seasons or something, you know. And, and you know, I did uh, the voice of uh, Marv Albert's head in a jar when ah. uh, the episode when he's calling a uh, intergalactic basketball game yes <laughs> that was uh -huh. me <laughs> unable was the, uh, to get the rebound <laughs> was it the harlem globetrotters and the yes the it was, something, it was some crazy thing i just remember they said okay you're doing Mal marv albert and his head's in a jar go <laughs> it, was like, it was so much fun right and there was like the 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 harlem globetrotters were mathematicians and uh, there were these genius mathematicians and they, but the games were getting caught in these time skips and it was just right. really odd. Great. That is, so you love that room, that room. That's, that's such a great show for everything. You just why, There's three levels. Here's, and, here's every a, and here's why it's a good room. And it's what I learned when the, the handful of times that I've run rooms, which is, uh, Everything everybody has to everyone everything that everybody pitches is fun and interesting and good. You you don't you don't go after someone for a bad pitch. You just make it a fun, you know, atmosphere. And it was a room with no politics. It was just about getting the work done. There was enough people who were secure with what they were doing. And the worst rooms are usually the creator showrunner who has a huge ego but is very insecure. And that creates this 
crazy tornado that you have to kind of and some writers are better at figuring that out and fighting through it and getting over it and letting it roll off their back but that's just a harder thing for me you know yeah um so futurama was just about the work and figuring it out and getting it done and whatever you had to contribute was great and fine and maybe you can bring you something else it wasn't like you know i've had showrunners look at me when I pitch something like I was an asshole. I'm like, I'm just, yeah. you know, right. Um, right. So you don't want me to help. I don't, you know, so I'm not going to, you start to shut down. What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. So one of my most fun jobs was uh, my last one. <laughs> There's a show from Canada called the trailer park boys. It's on Netflix. And uh, it's literally that these three numb nut friends that live in a trailer park. And it was on for like, 15, 16 seasons, and they brought me in to make it into an animated series. And I showed up and I said, here's how we could do it. Here's some suggestions. And here's why you, if you make it animated, some of the things you can do, because you can you can do the origin stories about when you were kids and how you met, or we can put you in space and blah, blah, blah. So they hired me. And what was great about that show is that basically I was like, it was just me and those guys writing the show. And there was no executives. There was no one, no in between. You didn't have to please the actors because the actors were writing it with you. They knew the voices, you know, wow. and then it was fun figuring out <clears throat> with them how to make it an animated show. And like there was a moment <clears throat> the first time they went to record the script, they haven't done animated scripts before, which is you, you they each read their own lines, you know, and then you pick the best takes, they do them one at a time, and then you put all the lines together, and they just froze up. You know, they froze, and I'm like, holy shit, something's happening here. And they just weren't used to it because they were doing fake, you know, handheld live, you know, right. uh, camera stuff. So then I just said, let's do it this way. Let's just record like you're shooting the show. We'll give you a boom mic, we'll give you a body mics, and you, we just, we'll just do the takes of all you guys doing it the way you do it. I said, we have to do it that way because you guys fight and talk over each other. So let's just do the takes as these big clumps. So it was just fun figuring that stuff out. It was just a fun community thing. And it was just no stress. It was just, you know. Um, that's that's impressive. So- uh, well, listen, we're out of time. I'm going to have to have you back to talk about so many other things. But just to be able to take what is clearly uh, a great work ethic from a small blue collar town in Connecticut and have it wind up being, um, you know, one of the keys to a, a pretty incredible career as both a performer and a writer. Uh, folks, it's Mike Rowe. His book is called It's a Funny Thing. And if you've listened to the podcast just now, you know, it'll be a, a fantastic uh, book to uh, not only read and enjoy, but to give to anyone who's thinking about getting in the business uh mike thank you so much for coming on where do we find the book it's on amazon it's on the barnes and noble it's uh, i think it's all everywhere everywhere online where they sell books you know perfect you, you know those places those those book places book places things so. I, I just uh I, I know we're on the way out but i just have a vision of you at nine standing in your dad's bar next to two go-go dancers <laughs> uh. I love it. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for coming on, man. All right, man. Thank you. You got it. Uh, folks, catch my album. It's uh, it's streaming everywhere. Uh, it's uh, it's called What Was I Thinking? Uh, wherever you get the albums. 
And uh, thanks to SiriusXM for playing a ton of cuts uh, on, on their comedy channels. And uh, we'll see you next time. Later.